0: There's only one word that matters in the business in the early days, and that is the word survival. survival. Whilst you're alive, throw yourself 100% into whatever you do and make the best of this wonderful life that we all lead.
1: Hello and welcome to the final VOOM podcast of 2016, brought to you by Virgin Media Business. I'm Nikki Beatty, and as we finish the rest of those Christmas leftovers, we're going to take a look back at some of the best business advice from the year, including...
0: If you want to build a brand, the first requirement of any brand isn't necessarily to be brilliant, it's don't do or produce anything that's shit.
1: Yeah.
2: And I want to remove this context of work-life balance, to be honest, because for me, it's about life and whether you're enjoying it or not.
1: Yes, throughout 2016, I've had the privilege to sit in this studio talking with entrepreneurs from some of the world's most inspiring businesses on subjects ranging from wizardry music detection services with Shazam founder Chris Barton to online fashion with the billion-dollar-valued Jose Neves of Farfetch to the high street sex toy revolution with Jacqueline Gold. Of course, we've also been joined by so many brilliant young businesses too, making their mark here in the UK, including many of our very own VOOM competition participants and... For this special show, I'm pleased to welcome back one of those VOOM heroes and winner of the 2016 VOOM Crowdfunder Award, Ollie Bolton from Watermelon, the healthy watermelon juice brand. Welcome back, Ollie. The last time I saw you was for a drinks industry special at the end of the summer, which was such a lot of fun. And in fact, for all of you listening, if you didn't hear it, please do listen back because there were raps about iced coffee and everything. So how's it been going since then?
3: It's been really good, thanks. Yeah, we've had a great finish to the year. We just got listed in Sainsbury's. So that's been really exciting. That's our first supermarket listing and got loads of really exciting things planned for next summer. Congratulations. uh, Thank you. And have you you written
1: your watermelon wrap yet?
3: We're working on it, yeah.
1: (laughs) And joining Ollie and I to (laughs) sift through some of the best entrepreneurial nuggets and business advice from this year, we've brought in the big guns. An esteemed journalist, champion of women in business and former editor at the Guardian's Women in Leadership column, it's a huge pleasure to welcome to the VOOM podcast Harriet Minter, Hello Harriet. Hello, thank you for having me. And you're also co-host of another podcast. I mean, I don't really like to (laughs) admit there are any other podcasts available. The Badass Women's Hour. The Badass Women's Hour.
4: That is my podcast, but I'm sure it's only as good as this one. But what do you do on the
1: Badass Women's Hour?
4: So the Badass Women's Hour is three women, one hour, and all the opinions we can muster in that time on everything topical and relevant that week. So we talk about all the issues that we're worried
1: about and give you our Badass opinions on them. Well, that sounds like something that should be on the radio as well. You You are a regular speaker on women's rights and organisational change. Very quickly... 2016 has been a strange year for all sorts of reasons, the year of Brexit and President-elect Trump, the business ramifications of which I'm sure we'll try to untangle slightly later in the show. Amongst all this, a year of change. Have women, do you think, Harriet, got any closer to gender equality in the workplace? What's the status report there? So I think the status is that
4: actually we thought we were getting closer and I think maybe we'd got a little bit complacent about it. We'd got a bit kind of, it's happening we know it's happening we feel that we're taking steps forward there is momentum and then I feel Brexit into a much greater degree President-elect Trump was actually a bit of a slap in the face and a bit of a wake-up call to say actually we haven't got as far as we think we have and there is still more to do and I think it really fired up not just women but also men to say actually let's take a look at where our world is now and the action steps we have to take if we want to change it.
1: Well, we've been hearing so much about the STEM technology, so science, technology, engineering, mathematics, that women aren't involved. Does that bear out in any of your research? Absolutely. So I actually write a women in technology column for The Guardian as well. And
4: the thing that comes up again and again and again is nobody actually really wanting to take responsibility for the lack of women in STEM. So employers blame it on universities, universities blame it on schools, schools blame it on parents, and then the women just blame themselves. So it's actually a much more holistic approach that needs to happen if we want to really change those numbers.
1: Well, we're really glad you're here. And throughout the show, I'm going to call on you to help discuss Thank the topics you. from a female perspective, well, from a brilliant person's perspective. Uh, so let's get into this. The first topic we're going to look at and look back on today is making the jump. How do you pluck up the courage to say, yes, I'm going to do this and launch a business? Here's
5: Jem Mesa, who was a previous VOOM finalist. That was a big decision, I think. I was working for a great company. But after years of doing that same job, I realized that it wasn't for me. And I knew I wanted to do something else. And I knew in my heart that I wanted to start my own business. But in terms of timing, the recession was just starting. And people were telling me that I was crazy to even think of leaving my job. I had no proof that my business ideas were going to work. It was a very big decision. But I think it just gnawed at me until a point where I just realized that, you know, I'm not going to be happy doing what I'm doing. I realized that I really wanted to see my ideas come to reality and see, you know, how I could change people's lives.
1: That's Jem Mises speaking there about leaving her job to set up her cauliflower rice brand. It's called Collie Rice, by the way. Ollie, do you relate to that? I mean, when you first started your own company, was it a case of just having to
3: scratch that itch? Yeah, I mean, I've always worked for myself. So I, I don't have any kind of experience really kind of working for a large company and making the switch. But for me, it's, I think it makes a big difference when it's your company if you're working really hard because you know when you're doing those late hours and you're going above and beyond that it's, it's, you're doing it for yourself rather than for, say, someone else and for their baby. So it's interesting for me because a lot of the people that I hire come from larger companies, so I almost learn through them when they join the business.
1: What do you think is the most important thing you've learned from them?
3: I think probably a bit more structure and organisation because um, I'm quite laid back and tend to be quite relaxed about a lot of things, so <laughs> that's probably one of my main learnings.
1: Jen mentioned there that she had to weigh up the risk of starting a company during the recession. You're across business trends in a broader sense, Harriet. Is there ever a good time or a bad time to start a business climate-wise? Do you know what? I don't think there is a
4: good time and a bad time to start a business climate-wise, but I think there's a good time and a bad time personality-wise. And if you are somebody who is perhaps more fearful or more risk-averse, then you might be looking at the recession and saying, actually, I, I... Don't know where I'm going to find my customers from here. If I was buying, I wouldn't be taking those risks. And if that's your mentality to start with, what you're not looking at is the opportunities in that recession. And so maybe now isn't the time for you. Maybe the time is when there's a bit more of a boom, there's a bit more energy around, and you're going to be picked up and carried with that. But if you're somebody that likes to find an opportunity... Mm then I think the recession is actually the best time.
1: Ollie, what risks did you have to balance? In our last episode, Sean Palfrey from Tangle Teaser, he invented the mm. Tangle Teaser. And we discovered so many... Uh, you love that? I
4: love it. Well, the the Tangle he... Teaser is like the greatest invention ever. Well, Ollie won't understand this because he has short hair, but you and me, Nikki, like... No, well, also no, I've Ollie's... It. I
3: I've seen it. It's a great invention.
1: And he it's brought amazing. in a whole bag of oh. other products. And guess what? I gave them to my hairdresser instead of keeping them myself. She was so (laughs) impressed. Anyway, so Sean Palfrey, the inventor of Tangle Teaser, said that he absolutely tried to de-risk everything first before leaving his stable job. Now, is there a right or a wrong way to do it?
3: I think, no, there's no right or wrong way to do it. But I think definitely it makes a lot of sense to continue working at your main job and doing your project on the side until it gets to a point when it can support you and so I think there's a lot to be said yeah for just continuing with your work and evenings weekends developing your business or your products and then making the jump when you hit critical kind of mass. The
1: overwhelming sense from so many of the entrepreneurs who featured on this podcast is just do it. Here's Elizabeth Varley.
6: I think that There's no good time to start a business and there's no bad time to start a business. So that means that any time is a great time to start a business. It's always going to be challenging. There's always going to be opportunities. And so you just have to grab the opportunities you have and take them forward now.
3: I mean, the only advice I give is if there's something that you will never forgive yourself if you don't go and try it, then just do it. And I think that's the acid test of becoming an entrepreneur or not because it's so hard, there's so many hurdles along the way that unless you're absolutely obsessed and passionate about what you're going to do, you will find it very hard. But if you are, it is your competitive advantage.
1: So you heard, first of all, Elizabeth Varley there. She's the founder of Tech Hub. And then Jose Neves from the online fashion marketplace farfetch both of indomitable spirit and basically saying, be obsessed and go for it. So Harriet, Ollie, once you've made that decision to jump off, what's the most important next step? Do you iterate until you've got your product or idea perfect or do you make a statement straight away and share it with the world as fast as you can, Ollie?
3: I would, um, you know, I'd refine it, I'd get feedback, and I'd ultimately want to make that statement, but I want to make sure that my product is in a really, really good place. So getting feedback from consumers, doing more research is, is definitely where I would focus.
4: Harriet? I think research is important and feedback is important. After all, you're creating a product for someone, you're not creating it for yourself, so you need to check with other people that it's working for them as well. That said... You can ask for a million opinions and they will all be different. And at some point, you have to trust your gut instinct and say, I know this is going to work, I believe in it, and I'm going to create this market for it. And I think the really strong entrepreneurs are those who go out and do that and can sell it into
1: other people. Selling, that's a key point, isn't it? Russ Tannen, who joined us from the ticketing service Dice, thinks that saying things out loud is important because it starts the feedback loop.
2: I think the most important thing is just to start talking to people about the idea, getting that initial feedback, developing it and just trying to think about how you can make it the best it could possibly be. I think you only really get that when you actually say it out loud as well. There's something really powerful in that, just having to sit in front of someone and say, this is what I'm thinking about.
7: You know, we can no longer be in a world where we imitate. We have to innovate. We have to set ourselves apart from the competition. And normally that's what entrepreneurs do because they see a gap in the market, which is what I did. Mm. I think that you mustn't have any limit to your ambitions. Everything I do even today, I think about the end result. I think about the blue sky end result and I work back and unpeel the barriers from there. You know, one thing I keep saying to people, if there was one piece of advice I could give anybody, it would be about not letting perceived barriers, you know, stand in the way of your progress and your ultimate success.
1: Following Russ Tannen from Dice, that was Jacqueline Gold from Anne Summers. She's a lady that certainly not let this idea of perceived barriers stand in her way. With a business based entirely around smashing stereotypes with her hugely successful High Street sex toy brand, she's quite an inspiration. Harriet, the idea of breaking perceived barriers... You thought I was going to ask you about sex toys, didn't you? Oh, you totally can. (laughs) I love Jacqueline
4: Gold. I was going to rave about how much I love her.
1: What do you love about her? Do you know what? She
4: is so warm. Mm-hmm. So I've met her a couple of times in person. She's so warm. She's so thoughtful. When you ask her a question, you can really see her thinking carefully about the answer. She wants to get it right. And she just doesn't care what anyone else thinks. If she loves an idea, she's going to try it. And she's almost got that impenetrability about failure. She's like, if it doesn't work, I'll try something else. I love
1: that. Yeah. Well, this idea of breaking perceived barriers, it's an important one, especially for women, don't you think? Yeah, hugely so.
4: Um, Shonda Rhimes has this lovely quote, which I love. She said, I'm sure there are barriers, but I've just chosen not to see them. And I do really think that we can get obsessed with why we can't do things and what could stop us, as opposed to just looking at actually where do we want to be? And if that's where we want to go to... Let's have that as our North Star and just drive towards it. And sometimes when you do that, if you do it with enough passion and conviction, people follow you. They believe what you say. And every great job I've had, I've said it mm. before I've had it. And then people are like, oh, well, it's happening, so we'll just give it to you.
1: And it's that's the best, I for me personally think that's the best way to operate. That's really interesting. Well, have a listen to this. Jacqueline Gold here explaining the prejudices she had to face in her own boardroom. Is it true that when you first pitched your new ideas, you had to pitch it to an all-male board? And it, did they turn you down?
7: It is true. And actually, there was one man, and he's, he's dead now, so I can say his name, but there was one, one director at the board that actually stood up, threw his pen on the table and said, well, this isn't going to work, is it? Women aren't even interested in sex. <gasps> <laughs>
1: That is pretty shocking, but hopefully we've come a long way from stereotyping um, that's that blatant, at least. So uh, working around having a family is another thing that a lot of women are afraid of. What sort of advice would you give to them, Harriet?
4: I think it's working out what works for you and where your boundaries and breaking points are. So what is the stuff that you really, really care about that you will not sacrifice? Know what that is. And then know what the stuff is that you don't care about and you'll happily sacrifice and what's the grey stuff in between. And know that that grey area is probably the area that you will live in and you will constantly be making trade-offs. But actually, as long as they're not the stuff that you are really deeply invested in, it's okay. So let go of the guilt and enjoy what you're doing when you're doing it.
1: Ollie, I guess the next barrier... Um, most early stage entrepreneurs face, is finding funding. How did you do that with Watermelon?
3: So we were very lucky with Watermelon because we've been in the drinks industry for eight years. We had money saved from a previous drinks brand, so we were able to launch the product using this money. However, we crowdfunded as part of the VOOM competition. Um, yeah, which was a great experience, and we, we were very lucky to raise £62,000, and that was all really valuable money that we put towards our marketing. It made a huge difference in our marketing.
1: Crowdfunding is as much about market validation as actually getting the money, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, yeah. And I think also for us, a really valuable part of the crowdfunding process is having all of the supporters, a kind of a team of ambassadors who not only will be talking, hopefully, to their friends and family about the product, but we can go to and we can get feedback from and we can kind of include them as part of our kind of wider team and family.
1: And what advice would you give to people thinking about it now?
3: With crowdfunding, Mm -hmm. I would say that Try and get as creative as possible with your rewards and with your campaign because ultimately, you know, you'll stand out more and it's easier for people to share it with their friends and colleagues.
1: Can you tell me one of the creative rewards that you gave out
3: So one or of our promised? Yeah, so one of, one of, one of our promises is we, um, we were crowdfunding for a double-decker bus, watermelon bus, and actually one of the rewards was you can get your face on the back of the bus. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: so, so the bus is now driving around with a load of people's faces on the bus
1: that's lovely brilliant Harriet is there something to be said though about the so-called bad side of startup culture where people perhaps feel an entitlement that just because they have an idea they should get the funding is is there a dangerous side to that
4: I mean I think there are a lot of people out there who latched onto the term entrepreneur and find it very sexy and really want to be one but don't really have a great idea to go with it. And the number of press releases I get with ideas, which I think this is your, you know, you've invested your life in this and it is a terrible idea. Um, And that's it's really difficult when you see this, because you kind of want to go back and give them some feedback and say, you know, I, I don't think this is going to work or maybe you can adapt it. Or actually you seem to have a really great gift for this. Go and do that in a company where they are going to pay you. Um, And so I think there's a danger that maybe we've become a little bit obsessed with the idea of entrepreneurialism for everyone. Mm. And we need to understand that it's great for some people, but other
1: people need to be part of a team. Well, Um, one person it was really good for. Oh, I've got a wave of nostalgia now because he was in the very first podcast we ever made for VOOM. Paul Lindley of Ella's Kitchen. And he's a big fan of bootstrapping and using your own money.
0: These days, there are different ways that you can get investment in money. I think crowdfunding, which I know Mm -hmm. has done, is a fantastic new way of getting cash. But at some point, you've got to put your money where your mouth is. And I very much have never gone down the route of wanting to give my equity in my business away cheaply, if at all. And I felt my idea was such a good idea that I was more willing to remortgage our house with my wife's blessing, obviously, um, uh, then, then get money in through uh, investors in equity. And I'm so glad I did that because when we built a business and sold it many years later, I was still in control of it and I could still define where the destiny of our business actually went.
1: Well, Jim Mesa from Collie Rice had some wise words of advice from a food business perspective.
5: I know we are talking about, you know, remortgaging your house or giving away your equity in your business and raising finance. I would caution, you know, startups to I think the very first thing to do before you start aiming big is proof of concept. Okay, so start small. And the great thing about food businesses is you can make your products in your own kitchen. And I remember when I started one of my other food businesses, Righteous, this is exactly what I did. I came up with vegan gluten-free salad dressings in my own kitchen, took them to supermarket buyers with the concept, an idea of how much I could sell the product for and managed to get an idea of who was interested in ordering. We got listed by Whole Foods, by Selfridges at the time. And, you know, so we had a really good idea of what committed volumes we could start with. So I I would urge everyone when you're taking that first step to start small, prove your concept works first. You might think it's a good idea, but, you know, other people might think there's an opportunity to improve or somewhat tweak your idea. So it's very important to do that test first.
1: So two sides of the coin there. Risk your house versus going slow and steady is one way better than the other, Harriet. So I really love to play poker and they say in poker
4: that you should always have in the bank 10 times the stake that you're playing with. So if you only have a tenner in the bank, you never want to stake more than a pound. And I sort of, for me, I feel that's where people should be thinking generally when it comes to startups and particularly when you are just starting out. But there is a point where you have to invest. And you have to take that risk. So know that it's coming, know that it will happen and know that the really great entrepreneurs are the ones that can do it.
1: But don't do it until you have to. Ollie, when you are looking for finance, pitching is obviously key, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I think pitching is really important and it really helps you distill down your belief in why you're doing what you do, in a really short, snappy phrase.
1: So here are some top pitching tips from Russ Tannen from Dice, Sean Palfrey from Tangle Teaser and Hal Watts from made-to-order knitwear brand Unmade.
3: I think getting really to
2: the crux of the, the thing, getting that elevator, that one-line pitch, I think is key because if you go into idea, you might have been thinking about it for a year at all hours of the day, but if you can't nail it in sort of one sentence and just to explain really what the, the problem is that you're solving, then I think that p- people switch off quite quickly.
8: Look at all what you're going to be saying, strip it back, ask, is it relevant? Doesn't have to be longer. You don't have to do a journey to get there either. So, again, just keep it absolutely relevant of what, not what they want to hear, what you are, what you're mm. about. Don't waffle. Don't be afraid that you've been judged or anything like that. Tell them about what you've got. Be excited. This is what I have. Tell it as it is. Get well, excited about it.
2: When you're fundraising, you have to take a lot of meetings. I think I probably met over 100 potential investors in the first month that I was raising. Wow. Um, so it's kind of a bit of a marathon where you're meeting all these people and then you've got to to balance them and try and get everyone to agree to the same set of conditions to invest, which can be pretty, pretty exciting. And the other interesting thing about in the investment industry as a whole is that the more people you get, the easier it becomes to get more people.
1: Great bits of advice there. Differing Bits of advice there. Well, aside from pitching for funding, pitching to retailers, stockists, and distributors is a big part of this whole game. When you were on the show a few weeks ago, a few months ago, Ollie, <laughs> we were talking to Jim Cregan of Jimmy's Ice Coffee about how he made an entry with suppliers, and he was pretty devious, to be honest.
8: When you first start out, you get them. Um, I get emails quite a lot from people saying, Can I have the buyer's details for um, Sainsbury's, please? And you go, No. <laughs> you can go and find them yourself. Um, And buyers aren't going to basically respond to emails from fresh kind of new customers. Mm -hmm. So you've got to try and do something if you're that determined to get a product in. So we parked our crappy little Suzuki Waggon R in the loading bay of Whole Foods and this chap who was just jet washing some cabbage off the loading bay said, "Uh, what are you doing? And I said, I'm here to see the buyer. Um, And he's like, okay, yep, that sounds cool and took me upstairs and to this Kind of reception that's really, really kind of tranquil and lovely. And, uh, and then he vanished. And then I was kind of stood there holding this box of iced coffee, and I heard these high heels like marching round the corner. I thought, Oh God, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and uh, this lovely lady—I'm not going to say her name because otherwise everyone's going to email her—just came round and was like, "And who are you, and what on earth are you doing here?" I was like, well, my name's Jim, and I've started an iced coffee company, and I'd really like you to try it. Um, and she said, "Right, do you know you you can't just barge in here? We're having a buyers' meeting anyway. You need to send an email first. And I was like, I don't really have time, I've just got to get this to you and I really want you to try it. Um, She said, have you you had any food or drink experience? And I said, well, I eat food and I drink drinks, (laughs) um, but I hope you like this. So she took one out of the box and she said, "Um, in all fairness, we are actually looking for a nice coffee at the moment, so um, I'll be in contact in a couple of weeks. So that was just a big kind of grin day for me.
1: Ollie, pitching was obviously a huge part of the VOOM competition, which, for the listeners who don't know, is basically one giant pitch, isn't it?
3: Yeah, exactly. The whole process from start to finish, it doesn't stop.
1: We should congratulate you again on your success as the winner of the Crowdfunder Award. We should also mention some other good news that another of this year's winners, Toby McCartney of Macreeba, who won the VOOM Startup Award, has recently hit a major milestone. His company won for its ingenious solution to potholes by creating a new type of green road surface out of recycled plastics. They've just laid their first public highway with the material in Cumbria which is absolutely fantastic so congratulations to Toby and McCreeber. there's more on that and on all the VOOM winners Uh, just head to vmbvoom.com you can find all that and more you're listening to the VOOM podcast with me Nikki Beatty, alongside Harriet Minter journalist and women in leadership campaigner and Ollie Bolton founder of Watermelon the healthy watermelon juice brand and VOOM crowdfunder award winners this year ollie tell us a little bit more about how you've been growing your business since the competition
3: yeah i mean we have um focusing on really next year and next summer and what we'll be doing and we're actually looking at equity crowdfunding now we've done the kind of the reward crowdfunding this year and we're we're thinking about taking it up a notch and uh, and again building our ambassadors and our sort of supporters so that's a really interesting process but we're going through at the moment
1: Yeah, but they won't get their faces on the back of a (laughs) bar. Growing a brand is something we talk a lot about on this show. Emma Sinclair from Enterprise Jungle was unapologetic about saying think big
6: right from the start. One of the things I've learned over time is it's wonderful to come up with an entrepreneurial idea at your table and something you can sell to one person or 10 people or 100 people. But one of the things that's really important for Britain and one of the things that's really important for entrepreneurs of any age and size is to think about scale. How can you get bigger faster? How can you build a business of value? How can you build a business that can employ more people? So one of the things that I put my mind to in my software business or anything else that I'm doing is how can I escalate the message? How can I build something that I can reach people in... Australia, in America, in Germany, we have clients in all continents. For me, I built SaaS software. I built software where somebody can press a button and download our product on their desk. And that is the beauty of the cloud. And I think one really important message for everybody listening is if your idea doesn't resonate with a large crowd, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have a product. Maybe you've got something you can pivot with. But it's really important to think about the next step, to think about how you're going to grow. Are you going to be national? Are you going to be international? Who are your customers? Start big. And I really, one of the messages and one of the things I think that I impart when I talk to people is to think big. Mm. Because you learn as you get older Mm. to think bigger. Mm. And that's just, and I'm unapologetic for that.
1: Harriet, do you agree with that? Is it always wise to always think big? Do you know what? I, I love Emma for her energy
4: and her passion. And she does always think big so if you ever meet her she'll be like how was your day and you'll tell her how her, your day was and she'll be like, right so what can you do to make tomorrow even better yeah. it's, <laughs> she's always bigger and better and you know that is an amazing energy to have i do think we all need more of that in our lives we all you know we can have a fabulous product but if only five people are ever going to buy it that's you're not going to be able to do the stuff you want to do with it but sometimes thinking big can be really scary And it can put some people off and it can stop them before they've even started. So think big, have a big idea, have somewhere you really want to be. But I would say then bring it back to what's the next step that I have to
1: take now to do that. Well, growing and scaling marketing and advertising, such a big subject, we could talk about it all day. Let's leave it to some of the Voom podcast stars of the last year to sum it up. We'll start with advertising guru Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy and Mather.
0: If you want to build a brand, the first requirement of any brand isn't necessarily to be brilliant. It's don't do or produce anything that's shit. Yeah, That's what I call the Samsung approach, okay? you know Samsung, you know, I mean, Sony produces better things in some categories. The magic of the Samsung brand is it's what's called satisficing in the decision sciences. Yeah. If you buy anything with Samsung on, it'll be pretty good.
1: Chris Barton, founder of Shazam.
0: Gosh, I mean, I think that, you know, one is that in order to be able to be so persistent, which is required to be successful, you need to be passionate about it. Um, so the first question is to make sure, are you really passionate about the problem you're trying to solve? The second is to surround yourself by really talented people. So all those people, that, those first hires and partners and so on, and co-founders all need to be people that you really think are going to be equally devoted and talented people that will to help realise the dream. And then, you know, finally, you know, I think a lot of persistence and luck.
1: Anthony Fletcher founder of snack
0: subscription brand Graze. One of the puzzles of growing a business is you have to be a very different CEO at different stages. Mm. Um, At the start, you know, people are very passionate. They are the culture of the business. Communication is instinctive um, and rapid. And you're trying to solve the problems of the business itself. However, as it grows, you have to become a very different type of CEO. You can't be in, in every decision. You have to be more curious about what's going in the organization and what's going on, be better at aligning people, being better at strategy, communication, and purpose. So that's one of the strange things. Sometimes you have to be a very different CEO in a startup to a larger company.
1: Ben Pugh from FarmDrop.
0: micromanaging and trying
1: to be involved
2: with everything was just a road to ruin. Your only hope, I think, as a founder, is to get some really brilliant people on board that share the vision, share the mission, and then, frankly, get out of their way so they can
8: do great work and feel really good about doing
2: great work.
1: Tim Westwell, co-founder of Pucker Herbs.
8: When you're starting off from your kind of like spare bedroom, you kind, mm. of, you kind of know how to do all of it, really. So then you've got to kind of pass it over to someone else. And I think the hardest thing is really how you pass on, pass on the responsibilities and the authority and the accountability to other people. So and doing that in a way which is fair to everyone, really, at the end of the day.
6: Emma Sinclair from Enterprise Jungle. So in terms of absolutely critical advice, it's be good to people on your way up mm. and treat everybody how you'd like to be treated yourself. My father always said to me, treat everybody that you meet on your way up very well because a you might need them on your way down and b that's your network and unequivocally the thing I can think back to is that at every stage of my life and my career some of the people I've interacted with are people that i would met absolutely years ago Mm. in circumstances where I didn't necessarily need anything from them but I was just quite good at keeping in touch and I think it's absolutely key is to just build your network because you need friends as you're building a business it's either lonely or it's challenging or there's a piece of advice that you need from somebody and it's Mm. just good to build relationships early. Jessica Huey from JHPR. And just to add to that, that, the same
7: applies. I think just as your career evolves as a business person, so do those people that you've interacted with earlier. So Mm -hmm. lots of the people that have become clients or contacts are people that I worked with in a completely different capacity 10, 15 years ago in some cases, and they remain my network. And as I've grown, they've grown and you have a
6: beautiful sort of black book. And and if, also, if you nurture those relationships. And you're bringing people up with you as well, which sure. I think is the great thing. Mm. You know, I've got a lot of uh, male and female friends that we've just pulled each other up mm. as we've built our
1: businesses. Mm. Ross Williams, founder of the Ventro Media Group, the white-label dating company.
2: One of the things I thought when I started is that the entrepreneur is the energy. We set the vision and we've got to be the energy train and always yeah. be positive, mm. always be positive. And then... <sighs> When we had the the difficult times, I realised actually people want you to be authentic. They don't want you to be this robot. And if you know you can actually say, "Yeah, I'm feeling it," it really galvanised people. I remember our receptionist came up to me, put her arm around me, and said, "You know, are you okay?" Mm. And that was the first time anyone said that to me. And you know, the the difficult thing is being an entrepreneur is that uh, people rarely say "well done" because. They just think that you're on top of the world and you're always driving it, and forget that there's a human in there who's never done this before. Uh, there's no book to. There's plenty of books to being an entrepreneur, none that I read, and uh, you know you 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 basically chart your own course and you make these mistakes, and it can be tough times like that.
1: Timothy Armu from Fanbytes.
0: When I call myself CEO, mm. you know people call it like chief executive officer. I think I've suddenly changed it now to be like chief empathy officer because like literally most of my time is making sure the other people are doing their job fairly well and they actually enjoy themselves right and I think that's the biggest hurdle especially when you like transition from early stage to like scaling is the idea that you have to do everything yourself having to take that out is super super hard to do
1: Timothy Armou there from Social Influencer Marketers bites, rounding up that really important segment that at the core of every business, it's people. Harriet, do you think companies in general are doing enough to look after their people? And how can perhaps everyone improve on that?
4: I think in general, companies don't realise the difference people and happy people make to your bottom line um so i was at a tech conference f- a few months ago with a very 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 big tech giant and they said if they can move their employee engagement one percent they mm. can make it better by one percent that adds 48 million dollars to their bottom line are you allowed to tell us who that was sap sap so i can tell you you you've won't have heard of them but they're a very big tech company like they're one of these weird tech companies that make huge amounts of money but nobody knows what they do but that's how important it is for them just one percent and that's a huge difference and I think there's something about actually understanding what it is that people really want and most of the time we think we reward employees with money and holiday Mm. most employees that's not what they want they want recognition they want promotion they want to feel they're valued they want to feel part of something bigger than themselves so how do we give people that in a way that is then also beneficial for the
1: business. Well, I think that you should give them really nice dinners like Ollie did when he had his Christmas dinner. (laughs) Yes, he did a really wonderful thing today. It's the end of the year. (laughs) Um, So we've been talking about growing business. And of course, with growth comes trial and tribulation or hurdles, for want of a better word. So let's talk about one hurdle all British companies might have to deal with in the coming years and indeed our European friends too. Brexit. Virgin's Richard Branson wrote recently. Great Britain and the world at large are going through a tumultuous time. The UK's politicians, many of them with their own individual aspirations of power, need to behave in a statesmanlike manner more than ever. The Leave campaign accused the Remain campaign of scaremongering. The current situation illustrates clearly why they were not scaremongering, they were highlighting facts. The stock market and the pound are down and the world's markets have continued to be hit. The business world hates Uncertainty and without strong leadership, I worry that the UK's economy will suffer long-term damage that's on the verge of going beyond repair. Bold, brave action is needed urgently. Harriet and Ollie, how does that chime with you, Ollie?
3: I think I completely agree with um, with, with all of his comments. Um, with our business, we manufacture in mainland Europe, and so you know we have been affected with all the exchange rate fluctuations and. So it's kind of a worry for us ongoing.
1: But do you think that we are even close to knowing what the real implications of Brexit are for companies like yours, for example?
3: No, I don't think we have any idea. What are you
1: most afraid of?
3: The free flow of, of trade and actually affecting our sales abroad as well, not only just the manufacturing of our products, but we also plan to sell quite a lot to other European countries and That's a worry that Brexit will affect all of that.
1: Are there things, do you think, that businesses and startups in particular should be starting and beginning right now?
3: Yeah, I think certainly being awareness and factoring into your business plan. And if you do rely on um, foreign currencies, just build again like a big buffer for exchange rate fluctuations because margins are so tight. And, uh, you know, and it can really affect your business. It could could, could ruin a potential new product just purely from exchange rate fluctuations alone.
1: So a big buffer. Yeah. And let's not forget President-elect Trump. Harriet, with your ear to the ground in the wider field of business across the globe, what are the world's business leaders saying?
4: I think what the world's business leaders are saying is really, did that happen? I think there's a great degree of shock, a very serious feeling that the world order has slightly shifted, that there has been a shift in power from China to Russia, that those allegiances are maybe not as strong as they were before. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, a fear as to what that could mean. And I think there's also a real fear about, certainly for kind of business leaders within Britain, are we as strongly supported as we were? Does that special relationship between the UK and the US still exist? A lot was made of the fact that Theresa May was the 10th world leader to be called by President-elect Trump after his win. So are we really as important as we think we are? Probably not.
1: Let's zoom back in now to an individual business level and talk about work-life balance. In difficult times, and scary economic climates, being able to stay balanced is incredibly important. Ollie, have you got your work-life balance right
3: I think so. I like to think so. You know, I always remind myself that, you know, there's more to life than just doing our businesses. And, you know, I've got a very supportive wife. I think I mentioned last time she was helping me sample the streets uh, three days before our wedding, you know, to help get votes for the VOOM competition. So, um, but yeah, you know, I I think um, I always try and make time for my family and I'm not a workaholic, certainly. I work hard, but um, not all the time.
1: Well, there's obviously not one single way of getting this right. Let's hear some thoughts from entrepreneurs featured during this series. James Eder from Causa, Paul Lindley from Ella's Kitchen and Emma Sinclair from Enterprise Jungle.
2: I want to remove this context of work-life balance, to be honest, because for me it's about life and whether you're enjoying it or not. And in the last you know, 11 years of my previous company, maybe I, I feel like I worked six months, perhaps, because that was the times that I really didn't enjoy it or I found frustrated. and. Mm. Each of those points, I kind of actually reflect and go, you know what, I shouldn't be doing the job I'm now doing, so I need to change my job and I need to evolve and I need someone else to do the bits that I'm not enjoying because this is it it shouldn't feel like hard work. I mean, it is hard and you enjoy and you put in the hours, but I think that's
0: reframing.
1: What advice, Paul, would you give to budding entrepreneurs who've also got families?
0: That's the hardest thing, I think, and, and, and make no mistake about it, it's going to be hard because you're going to feel at some stage guilty about one thing or another. You're either not putting enough time into your business or you're not putting enough time into your family. I think the wonderful thing about entrepreneurship and the use of how we've developed technology and communications and things now is that you can get this work-life blend. I talk about work-life blend rather than work-life balance because I think the two things can overlap and intersect with each other all the time. But you will have times where you have to compromise but one over the other and you've got to get used to that.
6: One of the things that I have learnt from experience is that you can't build an empire if you don't have your health. And health is something you simply can't purchase or outsource like you can with so many other services about your business. So I am really mindful and often talk a great deal about the importance of eating well, getting some sleep. I am the first person who understands the challenges of building a business and sometimes that it's 24 hours and around the clock and you can't rest. But you also can't build your business if you're ill and mm. you're not feeling good. So I live a very healthy lifestyle. I am vegan. Um, I tend to exercise in the morning if I can, at least sort of three, four days a week minimum. If nothing else, to just have a little bit of time where my phone is not attached to my hand and I'm not reading every email like my life depends on it.
1: Harriet, women and mompreneurs face an even bigger juggle. Do you have any advice for women that you'd like to share or success stories that have inspired your work maybe?
4: Yeah, sure. So actually Emma, who we just heard of there, about two years ago, I think, gave me a really big lecture about looking after myself and the importance of it if you want to be successful. Mm -hmm. And full credit to her, she... You know, she's a fairly impossible woman to say no to at the best of times. So um, I really took it on board and it made a really big difference. And that's the one thing. What did you do? So I started really taking care of my health. I started being really aware of actually when I didn't feel well, what was that? What was going on in my life? Mm. I did more exercise. I ate better. I drank less, which is sad but true. Um, (laughs) And I actually started to be really aware of the fact that you only have one body and you only have one life. So you have to look after it. And what that means essentially is putting yourself first. And that's, I think, something that's really hard for women and particularly for mothers. But it is, I like to think of it as the aeroplane principle, right? So when you're on an aeroplane and they're doing the safety briefing and they say when the masks come down, please secure your mask first before anyone else's. And you have to do that because if you are not well, you can't look after anyone else and you can't look after your children and you can't look after your business. So your health and taking time for yourself Is the most important thing you can
1: do. That's a really lovely analogy. Here are some tips from Anne Summer's CEO, Jacqueline Gold.
7: There are so many things. I think, first of all, you know, you've got to join networking groups because it's empowering to Mm. see other women and you know see women on stage talk about their success not just people that are turning over 150 million like me but your you know other women that are on their way up and seeing what the hurdles that they face and how they've overcome them I think that's really really powerful I think you have to for example if you're in the workplace and you're going to the boardroom and many women ask me about this and there's a couple of tips I want to give here first of all It's about not thinking I'm a woman. It's about going into that boardroom and having something to contribute. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. You know, I only recruit or promote the best people for the job. And it's got, women have to stop putting themselves down. And women are so used to underselling themselves where men, you know, tend to do the reverse in many cases. But women have got to stop doing that because in fairness to a, a male CEO, what is he hearing? He's hearing all the reasons why you can't fulfil that role. So you've Mm. got to stop doing that. You've got to support other women. I think that's very important, particularly when you're in an environment that perhaps isn't as it should be in embracing uh, equality and, and fair opportunity in the workplace. So I think you need to help change that culture. And you can only do that by supporting your female colleagues. We are such a fan of Jacqueline Gold in this podcast today. Mm-hmm. And
1: that's nearly it for this Voom episode. To end then, I just wanted to ask you both some open, wide questions. If you could look into a crystal ball and predict the landscape of business in Britain in 2017, what do you see being the trends? What do you see changing? Harriet?
4: So, I think if I was starting a business right now, I would be going into the personal health and fitness sector. I think that's only going to grow. It's only going to continue to grow as we all become more obsessive about our own personalized healthcare. Um, I think one of the biggest changes that we will see in business, both through entrepreneurs and large companies, is the cult of collaboration is going to grow. So, you can't get anywhere by yourself. And I think that's going to become particularly more and more prevalent in the coming years as we kind of handle the fallout of Brexit and the recent US election. Um, And so looking at how we collaborate and work together as businesses, I think is going to be probably the biggest trend we'll see.
3: Ollie, what about you? I think that business with purpose is going to continue to pick up a lot of momentum next year. And actually, we recently became a B Corp, which is profit making companies that commit to people and the planet, which also Ella's Kitchen is as well. Yes. So... Um, and I think, um, yeah, so businesses building purpose into their business model is going to be a growing trend. And I would also echo your points about health and well-being and actually all the drinks that we create are focused on health.
1: Well, it sounds like I've got to go off and start to learn to be a Pilates teacher or something. <laughs> create vegan foods. Actually, if, I think vegan
4: bags. Somebody said to me that's they think that's going to be the next big thing. Wow. Vegan bags? Vegan bags. Wow. Stan, wow. Stella you McCartney he does first. them already. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't use any
1: leather. Do you know that? I don't know that. No, because she's totally vegan. If you could suggest a New Year's resolution for all businesses across the globe, what would it be, Harriet?
4: I would love, I would love all businesses to adopt. First of all, people and planet before profit. That, for me, would be wonderful. And secondly, productivity before presenteeism. So if you can do your job in two days a week, you should still be paid five, seven days, however many, if you can do the same job
1: in a shorter amount of time interesting I wish I could Ollie
3: I think I can I, I mean I agree with both of your points again mm-hmm. um and actually just a, on the second point I think yeah giving you know more flexible working hours and ultimately if people get the work done um it really frustrates me when people you know feel just by working late they're going to get more done and actually it's all about efficiencies and productivity and you know, with, like with my team, you know, they can work from home or they can work shorter hours as long as they get the job done and they're efficient. And so I think more flexibility from companies in the working environment and structure would be a great thing.
1: Well, I think mine would be to be purpose-driven and think about ethics from the word go, and we've had loads of inspirational stories on this show. Uh, You two have been thoroughly inspiring. Thank you for taking a look back at our wonderful Voom guests from earlier in the year. Thanks for having us. Thank you, you, you. Ollie Bolton and Harriet Minter. Also, to all my guests throughout the year, remember, you can go back and check out all our previous podcasts. Virgin.com is where you need to head for those stories. The Voom Podcast is a Pixu production for Virgin Media Business, the ultra-fast broadband company, and we'll be back in 2017 to chime with the launch of the new Voom competition. Watch this space. Until then, it's goodbye from me and the Voom Podcast team. Best of luck for the new year.